That's some good worship this morning. We, we enjoy worshiping God with those songs and with our team that just leads us and brings us right into it. I, I appreciate Matt and his leadership and everybody else that was up here, that our wild man drummer back there. Who I, was just, I was just getting a kick of worshiping with him. And I uh, hope, you, hope you joined in with us too. I, I don't know if you had any sagas this morning on your way to church. A lot of times on Sunday morning preparing to come, um, anything can and will happen. Is this true at your house, especially if you have children? Um, my wife is here this morning. We, we live in, in Hiram, and so part of the joy of Westridge Church now, we're, we're all kind of we're spread out, and we come together on Sundays, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we have two boys who are eight and six, and um, there was a lizard in the house this morning as they were preparing to come to church. Um, like I said, I have two boys. Um, it's unconfirmed whether or not the lizard was there by invitation. Um, uh, however, my wife is a very uh, girly girl, and uh, my boys, thankfully, are not. They're all boy. And, uh, and so, but there's just something about the lizard in the house this morning. It seemed to just wig everybody out. On a, on a bush or in the grass, we can go attack the lizard. I understand um, that the lizard is now trapped uh, between a window glass and screen, and uh, when I get home, I'm supposed to take care of that. And so um, that's our house today. I don't know if you ever have anything like that on Sunday morning, but it just makes life fun, doesn't it? Just good, clean lizard fun. It's all good. And so I uh, hope you're doing well. We're, we're continuing in our series this morning called Supersize Me. And it's this idea, what we see in Scripture, that Jesus has given us four calls. We've boiled down discipleship into four things, to love God, to grow in God, to serve God and to share God with others. And the idea of, of why we have to talk about this or why we have to put this into practice is because we live in a society that is very me-focused, it's very consumer-driven, where, where people are, are, are really, they're, they're trying to center their, their, their commerce, their, their products around us and how to, how to pull us in. And it's very easy for us to get into a mentality wherever we go of how, how am I going to be served today? How, how are people going to take care of me? How are people going to do things in the way that I want them and do things in the, and the preference that I have and, and, and all of those things. And that, unfortunately, though it's, it's rampant in our society, it also infiltrates the church. But when we put the four calls of Jesus into practice to love, grow, serve, and share, the church culture then becomes countercultural to what's going on outside and we begin to really show people a difference of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ on a life changing journey. And so this morning as we prepare to to learn what it means to put another one of these four calls into practice, I want to take you back just a couple weeks ago. And remember that this started when Jesus was asked a question by a lawyer, teacher, what is the greatest Commandment. He would be asked this question by somebody who was an expert in the first five books of the Bible that are referred to as the law. And, and all the rabbis would have had their version of the greatest commandment, but nobody had one quite like Jesus. Because when Jesus answered in Matthew 22, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He's, he's repeating and, and giving a little bit of a twist on a daily prayer that they would have recited out of the book of Deuteronomy every day. And then Jesus does something else. He takes a passage, a verse from, from Leviticus chapter 19, and he says, the second great commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so from this, we get the idea of, of the commitment of Jesus, of, of what he was all about and what, what he wanted us to be all about, to love God and to love others. But there's this kind of this overarching theme, if you will, to Jesus' ministry. It's, it's really the essence of who he is. 
as, as God come down to earth. And he gives it to us in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there so you can underline it, highlight it, read it later, whatever it might be. We've got it here for you. It says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now understand this. Whenever Jesus used the term Son of Man, and he only used it a few times, it's this kind of apocalyptic reference to the fact that one day that God is going to rule and reign over all. And in the Jewish mind, that meant he was going to squash all enemies, anybody who was different from us, anybody that we didn't like, anybody who looked at Torah or the scriptures the way that we, a different way than us, he was going to squash them. That was their version of this. And so when Jesus uses the term son of man, he only does it a, a couple of times. There, there's, a, there's this picture painted in their mind of this apocalyptic, going to rule it all God, and that's all true. But what does Jesus say? He gives them a completely different picture. He said, listen, the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, like maybe you're used to thinking about with other types of, of royalty or, or rulers. Uh, he didn't come here to be served by others, but he came here to be served, to, excuse me, to serve. I did that wrong last service too. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me get this right one more time. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to figure out how to make this essence that was him a part of our lives as well. I don't know about you, but, but a lot of people struggle with, with serving others. Why do we struggle with serving others? Other than just the fact that all of us, typically, we just want other people to serve us. I and mean, we feel like we work hard enough. I mean, sooner or later, we're all supposed to have our time. And I don't know when that is or when I'm coming due, but I'm ready for other people to serve me. I mean, we have that kind of going on for us. And that's that, that me-centered mentality. But, but why else do we struggle about this? Well, a lot of us are, are, are just too comfortable. And when we talk about serving in the church, it's like, I, I'm not serving the church. I mean, it's, it's easy to go to church. And, and, and let's, let's, let's make sure it stays that way. And serving is not about making it hard, but... You know, when we come to church, it's, we, we don't have to do what our, what our friends do in, in Africa or Cuba. In, Af- in West Africa, we go to Burkina Faso. And I think about the people there who probably many of whom walk several miles or they rode a bike several miles to church over some, some rough roads. And they sit on chairs, not like these, but like the ones we had in here about three weeks ago. And they, uh, they you know, it's, it's a little bit of a rougher time. Our friends in Cuba are kind of pointed out and kind of, kind of looked at strange and, and they even feel like that the police are kind of making notes about who's going to church and, and who's not. And, and for us, our level of being uncomfortable in church is the idea that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays and I don't feel like I can worship without a chicken biscuit. I mean, this is tough. We're just too comfortable. Another reason is that we're just too busy. I mean, I know what it's like to be busy. You know, if anybody asks you a question, how are you doing? What's the most common response? Busy. Yeah, I mean, nobody goes, no, I'm not that busy. Everything's pretty cool. Life's a bowl of cherries, no problems. You know, that kind of, everybody, t- I mean, everybody feels busy. I mean, I can tell I'm busy when, you know, the stuff in, uh, that, that are around our house, like re- repair stuff, which I'm not very good at, but stuff that just kind of gets behind or, or you know, if, if I haven't felt like I've been able to, to exercise normal or, or, even, or even do something I enjoy, like play golf. I haven't touched my golf clubs in like two months, and it was like six months before that. I mean, I'm just too busy. I would rather, there, there are so many other things that I would rather work in than, than this idea of having to, to, to serve others. 
Other people struggle with this because you just feel inadequate. I'm, I don't have anything to bring to the table. You got a low self-esteem. I just, I, you know, if I show up and do something, maybe they're not going to like the way I did it. And maybe I'm just really, I don't feel good enough for this. Or Others of us just, maybe you're, maybe you're wounded. Maybe you're wounded from another church experience. Or, or, or maybe you're just kind of spent with life right now. I mean, maybe your, your marriage is in, is in turmoil and, and you can't believe you're here together at, at church today, but you're sitting on opposite sides of the room and so you worked it out. And, uh, but there, for a lot of you, there, there's some honest things going on in your marriage, isn't it? Some of you get, are throwing up your, your hands about what, what to do with your kids, with your teenagers, with, with maybe kids that have, that have left the nest and, and you just just spent. Others of you are, are struggling with, with finances or maybe you've been out of work for a long time or... Others of you may, may be struggling with addiction or other things that you walk in here with that just kind of plague your mind and build up in a lot of guilt because you think, you know, I'm really not doing this Christian life the way that I should. So, I mean, I come to church and I just, oh, this place, sometimes it just feels like it just wears me out because of other choices that, that, that you're making. But whatever the reason, serving can be a real struggle, can it? And then, you know, th- there's one more. Let's just be real honest, Okay. Even as I'm talking, some of you are just thinking, I just don't care. I mean, really. I mean, I show up, found a parking spot, I got this little, you know, ministry guide thing, what do they call it, and yeah, that's, that's fun, and, and um, you know, the coffee was ready, there was even free coconut shots today, that was kind of fun, and uh, I was able to, to have one of those, anybody have a coconut shot? That was cool, and that's really good, by the way, and um, coconut coffee thing. And, and um, not a real shot. People are looking at me like, really? I am going to invite my friends to this church. That's awesome. The, uh, and, um, but you just, I just don't care. Other people do it. They seem to be able to open the doors every week without me getting too involved. I mean, it's fine. And you just really don't care. But at Westridge, we, we try to put a different foundation in place when it comes to serving. And, and, and we, try to, we try to create maybe a, a different premise to operate off of. And and the first one is this. Everybody that walks in the door is important. Everybody. Every single person here matters. No matter your age in life, no matter the color of your skin, no matter where you've come from, no matter what mistakes you feel like you've made that you maybe feel like you shouldn't belong, we say everyone belongs here. And we open our doors and we say every person that comes in has the potential to be on this life-changing journey to follow Jesus Christ. And God's heart is for every one of you to be involved in this kingdom and to experience the authentic Christian life. Everybody matters. Another thing is that every task is important. Every task is important. Every diaper that's changed upstairs, every, every coconut coffee shot that's served, every, every ministry guide that's given away, all of these things matter. Every task is important. The people that come in and and clean up behind us on Sunday, all of these things, every single one matters. Another thing we believe about you is is this, to blow up some of these previous notions of being, of just maybe not being good enough. Here's what we believe about you, and scripture tells us this. Everyone is a 10 in some area. Every single one of you. Every single one of you have something that you bring to the table that nobody else does. And the last thing we say about serving is this. Everyone is a minister. Now you may be looking going, no, 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 big boy, you're the minister. Tony's the campus pastor. No, that's, that's, 
I'm not, I didn't come here to be turned into a pastor, okay? No, thank you. No, that, that's not the point. The scripture outlines the job description of those of us who are pastors and, and, and have the privilege of operating on a church staff. It says, our job to equip the people that come in to do the work of the ministry because it helps you be a part of this life-changing journey. And scripture tells us this in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there if you would. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now in this passage, it outlines a few purposes for serving. So what is the purpose of serving? Well, we say this. First of all, we all get the opportunity to use spiritual gifts. Every single one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ have been given spiritual gifts by God. Some of you can fly, which is cool. Some of you, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just seeing who's with me, which that wasn't good. But they're not superpowers, all right? But they are spiritual gifts, special abilities that God has given to each one of us. And all of us are stronger in some areas than others. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us this. It says, there are different kinds of working, verse 6. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In other words, some of you are good at some things and, and some of you are good at others. Some of you are not so good at some things. But, but in all of it, it is the same God at work. And God wants us to bring all of our strengths, all of our abilities, all of the things that he's given to us, and he wants us all to, to use them to contribute to his overall kingdom. You see, whenever God gives us an assignment or a call in our lives, he always equips us with what we need to accomplish it. Say, well, well how do I find out what God thinks I'm good at or how God has wired me? I mean, some of these, I just want to give you a little freedom to do a little self-evaluation. But here, here are just a few things. We, we talk about the word shape. And in the last service, they said, I wish you'd have these in the notes. So I'm sorry that we don't, but you can write them down. I'll go slow, okay? Each, each letter of the word shape stands for something different that will help you identify what exactly your unique contribution to the church can be. The first one is the one we just touched on, spiritual gifts. S is for spiritual gifts, unique abilities that God has given to you. We're going to put on our website a free online spiritual gifts test at westridge.com. If you've never taken anything like this before, it just, it's a survey. Where it, you, it just asks you a bunch of questions and you just answer, I think, from one to five and, and tell it kind of how you feel and, and how you feel at that given moment about that thing. And then it kind of spits out some results and says, well, hey, it looks like that you're, you're probably good at this, this, and this. And by the way, you shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. So spiritual gifts. The H in shape stands for heart. Now understand this. Heart is just, what are you passionate about? What do you love? What is it that when, when you do it, you feel so alive? Listen, God put that in you. And too often in our lives and in too many places, 
We are put inside of, of a box where we feel like we're supposed to operate a certain way. And the church should be the place where you are the most free to operate in the way that God would want you to. Spiritual gifts, heart, A is abilities. Not just what are you passionate about but, but, and, and what fills your tank, but, but what are you good at? What, what is it that you actually, when, when you do it, people go, hey, good job. What is it when people do, now you probably shouldn't do that ever again, you know, like singing or something. I don't know what that is for you, but, um, but there are things that you're good at. Everybody's a 10 in some area. P is personality. Too many people feel like that when I come to church, I'm supposed to like, I don't know, I'm supposed to lose my personality, check it at the door, and, and be the good Christian boy and good Christian girl now, which feels really bland, and I feel like I'm having to check a lot of things at the door, as a matter of fact. But no, God has given you your unique personality, and it should just come out of you and the church more than anywhere else. And the E is your experiences. Some of you have experiences that you wish you hadn't had. But now God wants to redeem those things and have you use them in the lives of others. I mean, some of you can relate to people that I will never be able to relate to because of my background or even the, the color of skin or, or, or whatever it is. Hey, there are people that I can relate to that you can't. And when you put all this together and when God brings all this together in the intricate, interwoven way that only He can do, it creates a church with more potential and greater possibility than any other. The idea of the church, the idea of Ephesians chapter 4 is that everybody has a place of ownership. Everybody has a place to contribute. Everybody should have a place where, you know what, I love to be a part of the church because there I get to do this. Whatever that is, from spiritual gifts, from you yourself thinking about your heart, from you yourself knowing your abilities, from the things that make you you, your personality, and from the experiences that you've had, good, bad, or whatever it might do, whatever it might be. Ministry is using what God has uniquely given you to uniquely serve Him and the needs of others. God can take ordinary people and accomplish extraordinary things through them when you discover your unique shape. What else does Ephesians 4 tell us is the purpose of serving? Well, serving brings unity to the church. Serving brings unity to the church. I've seen in the last several months, I've watched several churches split. And that's just horrible to watch where people in churches can't get along. And so they go out and they leave and they get upset at each other. And one of the things that we've seen over the years is that serving brings unity. You know, in 2008, the summer of 2008, when Pastor Brian and three other pastors started Community Makeover, it was all pastors of different backgrounds, different denominations, different ethnicity. And you know what? From the years it's grown in 2008 to eight churches to this last summer, 110. And you know what? We haven't really had any arguments yet. We don't have time. We're out serving the community. We're out putting the needs of others first. We don't talk about doctrine. We don't talk about things that might divide us, but rather we spend our time and we serve others. And from that, we have found an amazing unity from all of these churches coming together. But not just outside the church, but serving can produce unity inside the church. Lots of conversations in, in the last couple months with people, and, and there, were, there were a few people there for a time that they weren't sure how they felt about the church, and, and they, they really didn't like some of the decisions being made, so they did the most godly thing they could think of, and they put it on Facebook. And um, 
what they decided is that they didn't like some things happening in the church, and so they were going to put it on their wall. Boom. And so it's real tempting to go back out on the wall and go, oh, yeah, well, here you go. But instead, some private conversations were had with people instead of back and forth on Facebook walls, which just really bothers me. But that's another deal. That's another series, really. But, and so some private conversations are had and say, hey, what, what didn't you like about this? What's your deal? And I mean, you already told everybody, but say it face to face. And so and so conversations are, are had. And there's a question that, that Pastor Brian has taught me to ask folks, and it's this. Hey, are you serving anywhere in the church? No guilt, just are you serving anywhere? Nope. Let me ask you a question. If you were serving somewhere, would this issue bother you? No, I, I don't think it would, is the feedback we've gotten from folks. You see, when we're all serving together the way that God has laid out in Scripture, it creates a unity that puts aside all the petty things that churches seem to get divided about. But when we can serve together, it creates a unity that other people are drawn to and want to be a part of because this, this church is full of people that they seem to like each other because they're all a part of something larger together. Ephesians 4 tells us that serving is part of becoming more spiritually mature. Listen, I, I like a good Bible study. I like reading my Bible. I like learning new things. I like going to the commentators and, 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 and different places to, to study. But Ephesians 4 tells us this. It says, We will all reach unity and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will become mature as we serve. See, we all know people. I know people who know the Bible far better than I do, but they just don't seem really happy. In fact, it seems like the more they read, the more miserable they get. And it comes from this overstuffed mentality that we're trying to combat in this series. It says, listen, yeah, you can sit there and you can get stuffed, you can get full on all kinds of knowledge, but the scriptures say when you start serving, that's where the power is. That's where the growth happens, and that's where unity comes from. First Peter chapter 4 says this, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, when we talk about stewardship, a lot of people think about money. That word has been referred to with money all the time. You're a steward of the finances you're given. But God says, Peter says this, You're a steward of how God wired you. You're a steward of those abilities you've got. You're, you're a steward of the things you're passionate about. You're a steward of the things that you're good at, and you need to be using those things in the kingdom of God. Because when we do, we get to feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. We get to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. I love what God has done in this church over the last several months. Because now we get to be connected to not only what's going on in Cartersville, but what's going on in Dallas, Georgia. What's going out in West Paulding, almost to Rockmart? And we also get to be connected to what's going on in Cuba this morning and, and what's already happened today in Burkina Faso and what's continuing to happen day after day. We get to be connected just by being involved. Listen, when, when you're here working in the parking lot, you are also a part of what's going on upstairs in the children's area. 
when you're, when you're serving coffee, when you're, when you're giving out ministry guides, when you're greeting people, when you're, when you're helping people come in here and come into a place where they know they're loved and they, and they belong, every single one of us are playing our own part and seeing life change come to families' lives. And if you don't serve, you miss it. You miss it. And when you sense your life as a call, you live more purposeful. You live with greater intention. You want with all of your heart to be a part of what's going on. You know, Jesus laid out his theme in Mark 10. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. In the book of John, chapter 13, he models it for us in a way that's incredibly unique. You see, it is the Thursday night, the, the night really of Jesus' betrayal. It's going to happen in just a, a few hours. And he's asked a couple of his disciples to go ahead into Jerusalem. And he's asked them to, to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. And when you find this person, ask him if there's a place that we can use to, to have, have a meeting. And the important thing about this is that there's really, for background that we won't get into this morning, but there's really only one place in the city that you would have found a man serving that way, carrying a pitcher of water. And it was because of a particular group of people that that honestly had kind of some skewed views of women in the church and, and that kind of thing. And so all of that to say that they were in the upper part of the city. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, have you ever heard the idea that Jesus and the disciples were having a meal in the upper room? Well, see, Jerusalem is a tiered city. The very highest part of the city, the upper Jerusalem, <laughs> every room's an upper room. I don't want to blow up your picture of, of Easter. I mean, it's possible they were in a two-story building, and that's all. But every room's an upper room because they're in a wealthy part of town as well, a part of town that would have been full of servants. But in John chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, a robe that he would have had on, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, here's the deal. They're in the Essene Quarter in Upper Jerusalem, a part of town that was pretty well-to-do. There should have been plenty of servants, and it would have been pretty customary to have your feet washed before the meal. And so here they are, sitting in this room. They, they've got their sandals on, they've got... Dirty, nasty feet. I don't know about you. I have a foot thing. So this is a really big story for me too to say that we're supposed to live like this, but we'll get to that later. And Jesus doesn't wait for other servants to appear, even in this part of town. He gets up, walks over to the basin of water, to which all the guys must be thinking, he must be getting ready to give this to a servant, to somebody, and say, here, you come, come take care of my feet because maybe Jesus has... Sweaty feet, I don't know. And so he just, but it's time to take care of this. But he doesn't do that. 
brings the water over. And I don't know who he went to first. Maybe he started with Peter. Can you imagine the Son of God bent down on his knee, pouring water over dusty feet? You know what happens to dusty feet when you pour water on them? They become muddy feet. <laughs> so he pours the first bit of water, maybe gets out some more, begins to pour some more. But not just enough to rinse it off. But he takes this towel around his waist and begins to wipe off the feet of his disciples. See, Jesus said the Son of Man came to serve, but he models it here in a way totally unexpected. Listen, I don't blame the disciples that nobody else has washed somebody's feet. I mean, they wouldn't have been expected to do that. It's not the idea of, well, one of the disciples should have done this. No, no, that's not it at all. It's just the fact that Jesus did it. I mean, he got up and did it. What are the lessons we can learn from Jesus from washing the disciples' feet? The first thing is that we can risk serving others when we realize that God is in control of our lives. Verse 3 tells us about Jesus, that he knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew where he was going. Jesus could risk leaving his place at the head of the table to wash the dirty feet of his followers because he knew who he was. He didn't have to prove himself to anyone. He knew he was God. He didn't need awards from people. He didn't need recognition. He didn't need pats on the back because he knew who he belonged to. He was not only God, but he was God's son. And he didn't care about what else, what anything, anybody thought of him in that moment because he knew where he was going. And listen, this is something that just like Jesus, all of us can know as well. We know who we are. We can know whose we are. And once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can know where you are going. And when you realize that when you're imitating Jesus, when you serve others, you can realize that God will give you the strength to carry on whatever mission, calling, task that he's giving you. Listen, becoming a servant feels risky, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard for us to serve others because we're afraid we're going to lose something like our, our position or, or authority or what others think about us or whatever it might be. We, we fear that if we get up from the table, somebody's going to take our seat. And I like where I was sitting. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we make statements like this, don't we? We make statements like, I don't do the trash. I don't do kids. I don't do dirty diapers. I, I already raised my kids. I, maybe it's, you know, I, at home, perhaps it's, you know, I don't do laundry or, or I don't do the yard or, you know, that's, that's somebody else's job or I want to have somebody else come in here and do this. But a true servant of the Lord in every area of their lives can risk looking at their own self-perceived status or the fear of not being appreciated and lower themselves to serve others because they understand who they are. They understand whose they are. And they understand where they are going. When we understand that all of those things that we feel like we have, our status, our power, position, whatever it is, and we realize all those things we know that we have, our gifts, our passions, our ability, our personality, our experiences, when we know that all of those things have come from God, we have no problem lowering ourselves to take on even the dirtiest of jobs in every area 
We can serve our kids and our spouses and those we work with and those on our street and and keep doing it over and over without ever having this I've done enough attitude. And what's more is when we apply this to our lives, we'll, we'll serve a different type of person as well. Maybe a type of person that you would never otherwise invite into your home. Maybe a person that you would not care to eat a meal with. Maybe someone that you might just flat out dislike. But when we take up the towel the way that Jesus does, we will serve those people regardless. Because when God is in control of your life, you can serve the needs of others and you can take big risk. We can meet the needs of others if we're willing to pick up a towel of servanthood. You know, have, you, have you ever wondered what the disciples were talking about there at the Last Supper? Well, Jesus is, is getting up and preparing to, to wash their feet and it's the night, bef- the night of his betrayal and the night before he died. Have you ever wondered what these guys were talking about? Seems like they had things to talk about. Luke chapter 22 tells us they're talking about, hey, who, who do you think is greater? You or me? Hey, hey uh, John leans over to Peter. Hey, I think, I think we're way cooler than those guys across the table. You know, just, that's what the Bible says they're talking about. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? And Jesus picks up a towel not only to wash their feet. That was a need. They had dirty feet like anybody would have had walking those roads. But he was meeting a need deep inside of them. He was meeting their greatest need at the time because while they're arguing about who's the greatest, Jesus is showing them that what they need more than anything else is a good strong dose of humility. To be willing to walk through life and to follow in his footsteps, they were going to have to humble themselves and become servants. Man, I mean, this went all over Peter. Peter struggled with this like nobody else. He, as usual, was kind of the most boisterous about it. He gets to G- Jesus gets to him and says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, yeah, I, I, I need to do this. I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, I, I, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you should wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, you may not understand it now, but you'll understand it later. And here's, here's the other thing. If you don't let me wash your feet, then you've got no part of me. You see, learning how to serve and be served and having that level of humility in your daily life should be the mark of an authentic Christ follower. And we all know that looks completely different than what our culture is giving us. I want to close with a parable from Luke chapter 17. It's overlooked a lot of times, but it's one of my favorites. Luke chapter 17 verse 5 says this, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And here's Jesus' response. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree over here, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Mustard seeds like coriander, very small. It has the reputation of, of growing, and if you don't take care of it, it'll just take over your garden. I mean, if you want to have faith that just kind of takes over your life, here's what you do, and here's the parable. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank his servant because he was told what to do? Verse 10 says this, this is key. 
So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is in response to increase our faith. Do you want to have stronger faith? Do you want to have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you want to really experience the life change that is available to those who order their lives and who model their lives after Christ? Do you, do you, do you want to come in here and know that this is for real and I am not being a hypocrite? I am all in. Do you want to have that in your life? And serve. And serve. It's not about getting things done. It's about changing us from the inside out so that we can change others. Let's pray together. This morning, I hope you understand that we don't serve God to get a reward. Serving is the reward. We don't serve God or serve in the church because we want God to do something for us. But it's because we want to play our part and we want to grow as Christ followers and experience the life-changing journey. You never experience it more than when you're serving others. You know, Jesus Christ served all of us in a way that only he could. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want everyone here to, to know and understand that Jesus left heaven, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, and he humbled himself. He humbled himself all the way to the cross where he died for the sins, for your sins and mine. But today we know that he is risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, today, if you would like to put your faith and trust in Christ, I would invite you right now in this moment to pray and say, God, I want to come to know Jesus in a personal way. I want to be able to cast all my cares on him. I I, I want to be able to to live the the life-changing journey that this church talks about. So God, come into my life now. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he's risen today so that I can live a different kind of life both now and forevermore if there's anyone in here today who prayed anything like that in your own words I would invite you at the end of the service to go out into the lobby to our help center and to let someone out there help you get started right and for the rest of us today I pray that as you sit there in your chair that you would just ask God God help me to be humble I want to humble myself before you now God and give me the courage to take the risk and to serve. Lord, may this be the kind of church that's different as, you, as your son was different. May this be the kind of place where when people come in from the community, they experience something fresh, something new, something open and inviting because not just people at the doors or in the parking lot, but because every single member, attender of this church is operating and living their lives with a towel around their waist looking for opportunities to serve others in the way that you've gifted us. Thank you, God, for allowing us to take part in your kingdom and in your church this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.